everybody. Welcome to the Exploring Revelation podcast. I really appreciate those who have been joining us. We've been getting new listeners uh, every week. It's been fun to see the podcast uh, grow uh, little by little. I know that some were really wanting us to, to get to the text itself, and it seems like there's a, a never-ending number of, of things that we could mention before we dive into the text. I think we've given, though, a pretty good preface in the last several episodes. Certainly, if I, I say something that you don't understand, chances are at least we've introduced that in a previous episode. Um, so here we are in the in the first chapter of Revelation today. We're going to look at the, uh, or going to start looking at the first three verses in this episode. The first three verses here are interesting, and then they speak of uh, John, the, the author, and the third person, which is different from the rest of the book. Actually, we see something similar at the very end of the Gospel of John in, in chapter 21, verse uh, 24. In, in any case, some have suggested that the first verses in Revelation were written by uh, the custodians of the book, and possibly they added these verses when the book was published as a, a brief prologue and endorsement of the book. I, I would agree with with others like like Mounts who would say that the opening section of of this book was was probably added a, a little later, but it was probably added by John himself after completing the book. That seems to make the most sense. In, in any case, just in case you don't have a copy of, of these verses in, in front of you, let me just read them for you so you kind of uh, can tell what we're talking about. Now, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, we're just going to take and, and walk through these verses and we'll get as far as we uh, get as far as time allows us today. And, and having said that, I, I'm sure that we're not going to deal with every single little thing here. So if you have questions, if this brings up uh, other points or other thoughts or even things that you might think is a little bit uh, of a tangent, uh, I would encourage you to ask those things. You can go on to exploringrevelation.com, uh, send me an email, or you can just send an email straight to, to coltr at gmail.com. That's C-O-A-L-T-R at gmail.com. So right away in this verse, we read that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, it is important to understand a, a couple of things right off the bat. One is that the, the revelation not it, it's it's revelation, not revelations. Uh, hear that it's it's not plural. It's it's singular. You hear people often referring to this book as the book of revelations. Well, that that's wrong. What we have here is one revelation. Now, the word revelation in in Greek is the word apocalyptis, apocalypsis, or apocalypse, and the word is made up of of two other words. 
One means to, to hide or conceal, and the other means from. So the idea is moving from what is concealed to what is uncovered, to what is disclosed, or to what is revealed. Now, we've said this already, but at this point, I want to say it again, and I'll say it probably again and again as we move through this text. And that is the purpose of the book isn't to, to hide or make things more complicated or to conceal things or to hide things. The, the fact is the book, it's a book that should be expected to be understood. One scholar I, I read said that this isn't a book of hallucinations that we're expected to make some sense of. It's not some abstract thing. The, the stated purpose of the book from the start is to uncover, to disclose, to, to reveal. So uh, the, the point here is that this book is meant to be understood. Now, the question is, what is uncovered? What is revealed? Well, there's a little debate here on how this is worded, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek, as far as I understand it, allows that Jesus Christ could either be the subject of what is being revealed or the one that is doing the revealing. At this point, we need to understand that all of scripture is about Jesus because it is the story of redemption and that centers on Jesus Christ. In other words, it, what is being uncovered here, that the primary character is going to be Jesus Christ. There is a sense in which all of Scripture is about Jesus. Is that, first, is that what this first part of the verse is saying, though? I don't think so. I, I think that it's really clear here, and I think it'll be abundantly clear as we move through the text, that this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. It was given to him by the Father, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. God gave it to Jesus to show the, the servants the things that must soon take place. So the prophecy, the, the revelation here is from God the Father through Jesus to his servants. Now we should comment on that word servants here. Some translations will translate it bond servants. The, the Greek word is the word doulos. It, it means slave. Uh, of course, this isn't the kind of slave that, that many think of when we think of slavery in America and all of that. The fact is slavery in much of human his, history was a, a necessary reality for many. And this includes the time in which the Bible was written. Yes, slavery was a, a reality. It's not saying it was the, the best system. It's not saying that everything was, was right uh, about what happened in all of those uh, slave-master relationships. Uh, but th there's much made these days about how the, the scriptures uh, don't uh, condemn slavery. Some point to the fact that it isn't really endorsed either. It just recognizes that it exists and, and talks to, to slaves and, and masters about the, the relationship that they have with one another, like in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6. What we need to understand, though, is, is that for a lot of history, life was not as certain as it is for us. And this is for many reasons, but it was very possible that a, that a young married couple or a young family would be forced to flee their home for one reason or another, war, famine, food, a number of things. And, and in those instances, they couldn't take anything with them. 
uh, they would be at the, at the mercy of the land and, and really the, the mercy of, of those who they came in, in contact with. They wouldn't have anything and their only chance of survival would be to, to go to a, another person, to go to a landowner and, and work for that person. And in return, his family would be provided for. Uh, sometimes slavery was was voluntary. Sometimes it was involuntary, right? In the hypothetical situation that we just mentioned, which uh, of the two was it? Was it voluntary or involuntary? I mean, it was voluntary in the sense that the, the guy would go to somebody and say, hey, I, I need to, to survive. It was involuntary that the, that, it, that the person really had no choice. So in that instance, there would be an agreed upon amount of time that the person would, would work for the landowner. So say uh, 15 years. And after that time, uh, the, the man and his family were free. They were not under any obligation to stay and, and work anymore. They could go and, and find something elsewhere. They could work for a, a better landowner. They could get a job. They could start a, a business. But from that time, the, the person had you know, from time to time, the person had come to really appreciate and, and respect their master. And they would willingly, under no obligation, stay and continue their service to him. And, and I think that's the idea of the word doulos here. Notice in the, in the text that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, that is Jesus, to show his, right, or Christ's servants. This is something in, in the text that, that shouldn't be missed, that, that these who the letter is written to are, are slaves of Christ, but not just any slaves. They're, they're doulos. They're, they're slaves who are willingly, out of great love and admiration, willing to, to serve Jesus. I used to, to wear a, a t-shirt from time to time that, that just said doulos in, in Greek on the front. And from time to time, somebody would ask me what it, what it said, and I would get into conversations with them. Uh, on the on the very back by the the collar in a very small uh, place in quotation marks it would say it's a slave and and nobody would see that but I was going into a store one time and there was a guy walking toward me and he was giving me the strange looks which uh, I realized I was wearing a a shirt with a, a Greek word on it and I was uh, wondering what was going on in the, in the guy's mind as he was coming toward me. And as he was getting closer, he, he almost had this angry look on his face. And he, and he said, why in the world would you wear a shirt that says slave on it? So he could, he could read Greek. Uh, why would anybody be proud of that designation? He said, and I remember for the next several minutes, I shared with this man about how we're all slaves to sin and deserving of, of the wrath of an all holy God. But Jesus came and lived a, a perfect life and excelled in every way that we have fallen short. I explained how I placed my faith and, and trust in Jesus Christ and how he purchased me from the slave market of sin with his, his blood and how he redeemed me and, and bought me back. Now, now, let me ask you this. How do you see yourself as, as a Christian? Do you see yourself as a, a slave? I mean, are you, are you do loss? Do, do, you, do you see yourself as that, that slave of sin who has been set free, who has willingly put himself under the submission of another, under the lordship of, of Jesus Christ? Because that's, that's really how we ought to think of our, ourselves, is, is the same way in which John uh, is saying that this is this is who this letter to these are these are slaves of of Jesus Christ these are they're people who are willingly submitting to to service to him he is their lord i, I think 
there's something else here that we shouldn't miss. And, and that is that, that John, when he referred to his servants here, his slaves, he's, he's speaking of, of this audience who this revelation was given to. God the Father gave it to, to Jesus, who gave it to Jesus' servants, right? So the question is, is, who are these servants? It's a reference to, to all followers of Jesus Christ throughout time. Is, is that what we should make of this? I would say the answer to that question is, is yes and, and no. It is, it's all believers throughout time. There's a sense in which every letter in the New Testament is written to, to, to you and I. Even though the book of Galatians, for instance, was specifically written to the churches in Galatia, specifically here, and I think we see this in, in verse 4, that the specific audience of the book of Revelation is to the seven churches that are in Asia. My, my point here is simple, and that is this book, like the other books of, of the Bible and the New Testament, were written to a contemporary audience. And the question is, is what message did it have to the contemporary audience in which it was written? I think that's a, I think that's a really good question. I think it's really important as we go through the, the book of Revelation, because when we start understanding what impact it had on the, the message to the people in which it was written, that primary first audience then we'll start understanding how it would apply to us today. Well, I, I think we're going to have to pick up here next time on this point. But I, I will say a couple things here before we're done. Notice in, in the text what the, the message was to the servants. It is that these things must soon take place. The, the word must here is, is interesting. It applies inevitability. That which will inevitably soon take place. So the future is determined by divine, divine decree. That's here. The purpose of the, the revelation, the uncovering of, of that which must take place is, is in the, the sovereign hands to God. It is to reveal the things that must soon take place. That word must is important. So the, the understanding of, of this phrase depends on the interpretive framework that one has, right? This must soon take place. We talked about that in a, a previous episode, this idea of interpretive frameworks. You can always go back. You can check that out. But for uh, the preterist, for instance, this would be a pr they would be pretty comfortable with this statement here, this must soon take place statement, because they would see what happens here as a, a fulfillment of something that was future to those who were, who were being written to, but it, it happened in the near future. So for them, mainly the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD is what was being referred to. So that would have been soon. Now, some preterists, though, will date the book of Revelation after the destruction of Jerusalem, after 70 AD. And they would say that this fulfillment lies in the fall of, of Rome or the downfall of Emperor Domitian. Um, I don't, that would be, I think, a, a minority a, a, a minority of, um, of preterists. But another interpretive framework would be uh, historicists. Uh, they don't have an issue here because they would see the fulfillment as starting shortly. Remember, historists see the book of Revelation as, as history from the time of Christ all the way through uh, until the second coming. 
So the, the church age uh, culminating in the return of Jesus. So these things are going to soon take place, but yet there's things that are uh, way future as well. The, the spiritualist says that the, the time is always near because there's always things here that apply to everybody that is reading. There's principles here for every generation that's going through everything. So, uh, of course, these things must soon take place. Um, are those the, the best ways to, to understand this? I mean, is that how... The, the readers of, that would understand this, I, I don't know. I have questions there. But then there's the, the futurist, right? They're the ones that probably have the most trouble here. And remember, futurist is the most popular perspective of today. This would include uh, the, the perspective of dispensationalists that we talked about last time. Futurists see the majority of the Bible or the book of Revelation being fulfilled in a time that is even yet future to us. So most of what we read in the book hasn't happened yet. So it begs the question, how do we understand this statement in the very first verse of the book? Or the end of verse 3 that, that reiterates that the time is near. Well, I'm sure that there are a, a couple more options than two. But let me give you two ways uh, that futurists have understood this. First, they would have understood the, the word shortly uh, to mean uh, quick or, or suddenly. So the idea here is that when these events finally do happen sometime uh, in history, their fulfillment is going to come suddenly. It, it would happen uh, really fast. I know Charles Ryrie, for instance, takes this view. And, and the Greek word for, for soon here. Uh, is takos, which uh, the meaning is is in a brief space of time, haste, quickly, speedily. So if, if something is going to happen soon, it will come quickly. You see this in, in Revelation 3, uh, 11, where we read in some translations, behold, I am coming quickly. In others, like the ESV, I am coming soon. So you can see where they could they could take that and and I'm going to use the word because I don't know another word twist uh, that to, to say uh, this isn't going to happen near to time but it's going to happen fast. I, I think the plain reading though is is in in either case is that his coming will not be far off. Although I can see where some futurists will say that this is not speaking of the timing of the coming but it's speaking of the nature of the coming. Uh, it will happen quickly. I don't think that's a, a plain reading. Uh, another thing here is that futurists assume that this coming is a, a reference to the second coming. Others, such as, as preterists, will say that the primary meaning of this coming is a coming in judgment that would happen soon at the destruction of Jerusalem. So they're, they're, they're actually talking about two different uh, events there. Another way that futurists have tried to understand this passage that is difficult for them is that they would, would take a more plain reading of the text and, and understand the word uh, soon here to mean shortly or soon take place. But they say that we need to understand that the nearness of, of the event, the nearness of time here in a way that God reckons time. For, for God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So 2000 years could be seen as near. Uh, the issue with this perspective is it doesn't really account for how the first readers of the letter would have understood it. I mean, what if they read shortly take place here and said, oh, uh, that could mean a few thousand years? Uh, I don't think so. Well, perhaps you have some thoughts on 
uh, of that phrase must soon take place, uh, a way that uh, you have understood that, uh, what you think is the, the best way to understand that, what um, interpretive framework uh, you think fits best. I'd love to hear your comments. I'd love to hear about your, your questions. Uh, if you have another solution that, that we haven't mentioned, uh, perhaps you have questions, don't hesitate to ask them. Just head over to exploringrevelation.com, uh, connect with me there, or email me at coldr at dot com. Uh, see you next week as we continue to explore the book of Revelation together. <laughs>